Let's get into the weeds. I'm your host, Brian Brown, Integrated Weed Management Specialist with the New York State IPM program. <laughs> I'm talking today with Lynn Sosnowski, who is an assistant professor of weed ecology and management for specialty crops. And Lynn started, was it last fall, Lynn? September 2019. At, at Cornell. And uh, she's been extremely p- productive. She's really hit the ground running. And Lynn, maybe before we get into the weeds, would you mind going over a little bit on uh, what you've been up to so far? Sure, Brian. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm, I'm super excited. So what have I been doing? I feel like I've been doing everything. Um, I, I, I have tried to hit the ground running. So really I've been engaging in some very traditional weed science studies for various commodities. So looking at herbicide efficacy and herbicide safety assays in, in crops to try and identify new active ingredients that could be introduced into a system or to try and expand the use of an active ingredient. I've been doing a lot of work starting uh, this summer to to really start looking and delving into the the herbicide resistance situation here in New York. There hasn't been any herbicide resistance studies done uh, for a couple of decades. Currently, it says we have four herbicide-resistant weeds in the state, but that's really a significant underestimate based on the work that you've done, the work that I've been doing, and, and just discussions with growers and cooperative extension personnel throughout the state. I've been doing some weed surveys to try and better understand the weeds that are really becoming problematic in different production systems. I've been doing some work with, with you, looking at electrical weed control um, using a, a commercial tool called the, the weed zapper that's that's a toe behind a PTO driven generator uh, that can be used to electrocute weeds in a field and yeah my biggest projects right now and then there's a tons of other little ones to answer specific questions here and there within different production environments yeah oh that's great so today, um, I invited you on to talk about weed species biology and how differences between species can affect how we should be managing weeds. And I guess we want to start kind of broad. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the biggest differences between weed species that you see in terms of you know, broadleaf weeds versus grasses, annual perennial. Yeah, sure. So. I think, you know, this, this uh, highlights the need to know what you're dealing with, you know, and that, you know, weed identification, that before you can really develop a, a really effective management strategy, you need to know what weed is your, your problem weed or what weed species are your problem weed species, what biological traits do they possess? And how are those biological traits going to impact um, your control success with a given strategy? You know, grasses and, and, and broadleaves can grow very differently and respond differently to, to different management tools. So for instance, if we just if we start off looking at herbicides, you know, we have whole classes of, of herbicides 
that are selective against the grasses, the, the WSSA group one, so the FOPs and the DIMs, you know, and other herbicide classes that would be selective against the broadleaves. So like the auxinic herbicides, the 2,4-Ds, the dicambas, the, you know, the clopyrrolids, you know, and they're gonna, they're gonna target the broadleaf weed species. You know, and so we think about, oh, this, the, these differences that can affect responses to chemical tools, but there are some real differences uh, between the grasses and the broadleaves that, you know, can can impact their their successful control with other strategies. So, so let's take things like flame weeding. You know, grasses uh, starting off having that growing point, you know, very low or below the ground, whereas you know erect broadleaves will have their their meristem that growing point above the soil surface, and so you know the broadleaves being better able to be controlled with well, the erect broadleaves being better able to be controlled with a, a flaming strategy than maybe say the, the grasses would be. Yeah, or mowing. Or mowing, exactly. Um, so, you know, understanding, you know, some, some of that, that basic biology. And then you had mentioned perennials versus annuals. So annuals being, you know, weeds that can complete their life cycle within a, a year versus perennials that have life cycles that span multiple years. So think about maybe some of your annual morning glory species versus, you know, field bindweed or hedge bindweed, which are perennial vines. They're, all of those species are in the same family, but you know, they have very different life cycles and they have these different life history traits and they're controlled very differently, you know, just based on how they grow, how quickly they grow and, you know, that ability to withstand, you know, multiple, you know, activities against them and to suppress them. So yeah, really understanding who you've got, how they're growing, it's really crucial to, to, to being an effective weed manager. Yeah, just to illustrate how important it is to, to really be accurate with your weed identification. Uh, as you know, uh, a few years ago, I, I was involved with a project looking to try to control bindweed in grapes and um, hadn't really looked as closely at the bindweed in the particular field we were working in as I should have. And, uh, you know, we were getting some great results. You know, it was a little bit surprising that it was working on, on uh, field bindweed. But uh, of course, looking closer, it wasn't field bindweed, it was hedge bindweed, which is perennial, similar to field bindweed, but with a much less extensive root system, as you know, and, and much, much easier to control. So yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, even within perennial or, or uh, broadleaf, you know, these broad, these general categories, there are differences between species that still make it important to to identify down to the species level. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you, we were talking about this. I was talking one type of bindweed, you know, field bindweed, like, oh, I can't control field bindweed with that herbicide. And you're like, well, I can. And I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, we're just using this very common name uh, and not realizing we were talking about two very different bindweeds.
Yeah, I, I think, you know, with not understanding what species you have, you can be less successful in different ways. You can either, you know, not choose the proper strategy. You know, you just choose a completely ineffective strategy. You've gone through all this work, you've invested this time and money, and you don't achieve success. Or, or, you know, maybe you go too far in the other direction. And now, yes, you've gotten success, but you, you've used maybe more herbicide than you need to, or you've used a more aggressive strategy that you didn't need to engage in. And, and, and you know, that's, that's not a good use of time and, and money either. And, you know, because you're trading risks on and off. What are my chances of success this way or this way? So, you don't want to want to fail at your weed control, but we need to be judicious with our strategies. We need to be smart with our tools, and and you don't want to go overboard and in, in the other direction because you know a waste that's a wasted chemical. That's a wasted product. That's that's material that didn't have to be down, you know, and that's money didn't have to be spent. So it's crucial to know what species you're talking about. Right. And just to continue on the on the annual perennial theme, they've got very different ways of spreading and ensuring their survival over the winter with annuals really depending on, on their seeds and perennials uh, that produce seed but typically rely more on their underground uh, root systems and, and rhizomes. Can you maybe share some examples of how management based on these structures would differ? Sure. You know, we, we you know, we talk about annuals, you know, not letting let not letting that seed bank build up, right? You know, not let's let's make sure we're not moving water hemp or, or palmer amaranth seed around, you know, on our equipment. And and you know, we have to be thinking kind of the, the same way, you know, with our, with our perennials that, yeah, they're, they're producing seed, think of dandelion seed, right? Blowing, blowing across the landscape. They've got this, but they've got this additional, you know, survival mechanisms and, and, and they can be dispersed through, you know, through their, their underground structures. So if you, if you think about like bindweed, you know, bindweed being one of my favorite ones, field bindweed, Convolvulus arvensis. You know, this this plant is is tough. It's got these roots that can go thirty feet deep, right? It can just get established, and yeah, it, it produces seed that can stay in the ground for for decades. But but if if we go in and you know we think, okay, let's go in, let's cultivate it, let's let's chop this up. If we do that infrequently, all we end up doing is picking up those rhizome fragments and moving them around, you know, the field or moving them between fields and, and, and spreading them and just making it easier for this plant to become established and to remain established in a, a system. You know, there's, there's certain timings where we think, okay, you know, with nut sedge, well, if we can go in and maybe cultivate, we'll bring those tubers up and we'll dry them out. But if we, you're doing it at the wrong time, you know, the daughter tubers haven't formed yet, you know, or they have formed and they've already ardened off. And, you know, we're just not gaining the success that we want. So knowing your species, knowing your biology and, and you know, thinking about how you're going to time things and what you're going to do. Right. Yeah. It also matters 
the intensity of your management tactics and how you apply them on different species. You mentioned the infrequent tillage, but I know growers will very frequently till for control of some of these perennial quackgrass or, or uh, field bindweed uh, to try to exhaust that root system because every time they have to send up a new shoot, it will kind of drain the resources. But uh, something that I think is really interesting to think about is um, why are certain weeds in, say, a given field and not in a similar field right next door? Different tillage, herbicides, or you know, the timing of planting, crop competition affect you know, which weeds will survive and proliferate and which weeds won't. What are your thoughts on that? I think my thoughts on, on this are, you know, it's complicated. I, I think we often want to try and find like the simple answer or the simple solution when really it's this complex interactions of factors that are, are driving species composition uh, development within a field or a region again, the biology of the species themselves, when they germinate and emerge, whether they're summer annuals or winter annuals, you know, do they have a very short germination window or a very long germination window? Maybe they're, they're a spring, you know, emerging weed, but they're you know, lamb's quarters, which gets up really, really early versus some of the pigweeds, which might get up later when it's much warmer. And then there's the management aspect, you know, the selective pressures that, that growers are, are putting down in their field, the herbicides they're using, uh, the, the cultivation strategies that they are using, or maybe they're not using cultivation at all. Their crop rotation, you know, changes in the timing that crops are planted or harvested, um, or, you know, other, other, other factors that are associated with, you know, crop planting, you know, certain fertilization regimes or architecture type and how quickly an environment can become shaded or, you know, how open it remains that allows for more weeds to emerge and grow. And then throw on top of that, just the, you know, the overarching, you know, weather conditions that, that are taking place you know, during a growing season and climate, you know, above that. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, sometimes we can, you know, certainly narrow things down and say, okay, well, gosh darn, you know, in this field, um, maybe we've used Roundup Ready crops exclusively for, for five years. And, and now we have a, a weed that's resistant to, to glyphosate, which has become our predominant problem. So sometimes we can, we can, we can point to certain selective forces and say, sure, this is having, you know, an, an undue influence on the system. And other times it, it's a, maybe it's a bit more subtle and it's, it's very much so a com more of a combination of factors. It's just you know something that we we need to be thinking out about more is that there are so many forces acting on weeds you know forces that are human imposed what we are doing to grow our crops and and to manage our fields and then other additional forces you know uh, above and beyond us whether we have a drought whether we have high temperatures or cold temperatures and and that you know 
affecting which species germinate most effectively and become established. And, and that can influence changes in populations and communities over time if, if certain stressors become you know, more common. If we start to see more drought, you know, we can imagine that we're going to start seeing species shift because we're going to select for more drought tolerant plants. It's, it's, uh, weeds are complicated organisms and, and, you know, agricultural systems are complicated systems. And there's a, there's a lot of things that are going on that are, are subtly and, and not so subtly influencing who the competitors are and how well they compete with the crop and how well they get established and persist in a, a system. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, so you mentioned purslane there. We had some solarization trials the past couple of years and we were super heating the soil with clear plastic, getting temperatures up into the 120s and killing most weed seeds near the surface. But purslane uh, actually was stimulated and uh, and seemed to enjoy those uh, those high temperatures. What are some of the escapes that that uh, you're seeing? I, I know that in specialty crop, it may be challenging to control uh, certain species w- with herbicides alone. Perhaps the larger seeded broadleaves, like velvet leaf. Yeah. So the, if you're talking like the escapes that I saw this year in New York, I saw a lot of lambs quarters, uh, and and I think there's probably people would say I always see a lot of lambs quarters every year. Um, it's it's a it's a common weed. It's widespread, you know, throughout New York, throughout the the U.S. It's it's widespread across production environments. And I I saw a lot of it in in some of the snapping fields that I was 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 working in and looking at. And you know, for for this year and in my own what I thought my my estimation of it was is that um, when certain snappings went in. Uh, kind of earlier in the year, we hit a we hit a pretty dry spell in June. I think maybe we didn't get some of our residual herbicides as as activated, well activated as we would we would hope. And so a, a lot of lambs quarters got out of the ground. And then you know because it was hot, hot and dry, I think the lambs quarters got stressed. And then stressed plants don't respond to herbicides particularly well. You just don't have the the movement within the plant. You don't have active translocation or you don't, you know, metabolism kind of shuts down. These biochemical processes sort of slow down. And at the same time, we already are, are using some herbicides that are only so effective regardless. Very, very size dependent, um, velvet leaf. Yeah, you know, velvet leaf can be be a tough one to manage. The other thing with velvet leaf is, unlike maybe some of the, the small seeded uh, broad leaves, you know, it's got a thicker seed coat. It's a bigger seed. It's got dormancy mechanisms associated with its thick seed coat. So water, you know, can't penetrate through that seed coat. And so it's just going to maybe germinate later little bit later in the season after you've already engaged in some of your 
you know, main management efforts. And then this velvet leaf is up and then it starts growing fast and big. And it's, it's beyond the point where, you know, it's, it's easy to control, you know, and then, you know, there's some, some other species, uh, like let's, let's take Palmer amaranth, what we now have in, have in New York in a, in a few locations, you know, that plant just grows inches. It can grow inches a day and, you see it and you're like, okay, well, we've got to go and, and manage that. But by the time you you turn around and maybe get out to manage, it's already put a couple inches on and, and it's just blown past, a, you know, an effective, you know, timing uh, stage where, where you want to be treating it. Yeah. You mentioned um, the differences in uh, emergence timing. Some weeds like, uh, say, common ragweed, emerge very early in the season and are always among the first to emerge, whereas others, uh, like like many of the pigweeds, tend to emerge throughout the season and a little bit later. And that can really affect, you know, like you say, whether they, they get exposed to our weed management or not. A lot hinges on when the weeds emerge. And, and you're actually involved with it in an effort to try to categorize that, right? We are, our lab is. Uh, Dr. Tony DiTomaso in Ithaca has got a multi-state project uh, looking at the emergence of, of different common weed species with colleagues across states. So we can build uh, a model to say, all right, when, when we have so many degree days or we have so much soil moisture and certain temperature conditions, we can expect that that these weeds will get up and get out of the ground in, in the hope that what we can do is that we can time some of our management efforts to either go down in, in, in advance of the, the germination and emergence so we can kind of beat them to the punch and put our residual products down or that we can you know, be monitoring effectively so that we can make you know, really timely post-emergence application so we get them while they're small that's you know that's that's the thing with with weeds is that you know we're we're not joking when we say you know you have to be thinking of of managing weeds that are you know two to three inches in size or smaller that those really are when it comes to our our post-emergence timings for a majority of of the strategies or the chemicals we're going to use we've got to be able to get in when weeds are that small, that's going to be when they're the most sensitive, when they're going to be less able to, you know, compensate for whatever practice we're applying, whether, you know, that's a, that's a herbicide where, you know, because if they're too big, we're not going to get enough coverage. Or if we go in with a cultivation event, but now, you know, we, you know, the, the stems are a little bit tougher and now those plants can re-root and become re-established. So it, yeah, so Tony's work in, in wanting to develop this model and really understand the, you know, how temperature and how soil moisture are impacting, you know, our emergence is really crucial. I think, um, no matter what we do with respect to weed management, you know, it's, it's going to come down to, you know, our brain power and our knowledge and, you know, this kind of refocus and this, you know, recentering of weed biology, 
you know, wheats have been here, you know, and, and, and have been associated with human activity for thousands upon thousands of years. We, we know this, you know, weeds aren't going away. And, you know, and, and you could argue maybe with the herbicide resistance, they've gotten a step ahead of us in some, some instances, right? And now we're, we're reactive instead of proactive when it comes to managing them. We've got to re refocus on the basic biology of these species. And we have to say, sure, maybe we've done some of this information. You know, we've gathered some of this information in the past, but is what we know, what we know, has that changed? You know, has, has it changed because we've been, you know, subtly shifting our, our populations, you know, to respond to, to different factors? You know, have, do we have new species that have moved into areas that we need to acquire data for? You know, um, has our environment just changed? You know, we think, oh, well, we'll see this species emerge in May, uh, but now we've got, you know, changes in our climate. So now this species is starting to come up in April. We can't rest on what we think we know. We have to be constantly, you know, challenging, you know, our knowledge and revising, you know, our, our, our basic ideas and, and premises of, of how these species behave and, and what factors are influencing them. Yeah. And the weed community is going to shift or the individual weeds species that you currently have may develop resistance as in the case with, with herbicide resistance. So you know, I try to promote a strategy of mixing up the tactics as much as you can, the timing of planting, the crops, the, the chemicals and the, and the tillage used to try to keep weeds off balance and um, not allow any one particular type to, to really dominate. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's, that's crucial. And, and I think you put a really important qualifier on, on your statement at like, as is possible, you know, as you can do, because I think we're also all very cognizant of with unlimited time and money and human resources, we, yeah, we could probably control every weed, but no grower has unlimited time and money and human resources. And it's, it's presenting the options as, as we know them. Hey, you know, we can expect X, Y, Z control with this strategy or that strategy. And, uh, you know, I think for us, it's, it's, you know, how can we make sure that there's a diversity of tools that are available that aren't going to, you know, break a bank or basically just exhaust, you know, a, a person and their, their effort. talking about the importance of proper identification because there are so many differences in how weeds will react to management. And I know you've done some work with the various weed identification apps, and I've been really impressed. I've been using Picture This, and it's been very accurate for me. Yeah, do you want to talk about your work with that? And, and do you have any recommendations on how to take proper pictures for those apps? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I have not used picture this. Um, I've used 
plant net and iNaturalist. And I actually saw some, some good success rates myself with those two apps, uh, you know, pretty, pretty high. Like I, I took pictures in my phone, like my digital library on my phone and challenged these, these apps. Um, and, and again, saw some, some pretty good success, but I'm, I'm gonna qualify that statement that I felt that my level of success was improved when I was looking at more mature plants as opposed to seedlings. I, I felt that the, the apps didn't really, didn't necessarily do as good a job on younger plants, uh, you know, that maybe didn't have very distinct features that you could, you could focus on that would, would su help supply an, an, an identification. Uh, I felt it was a little less effective on grasses. It also comes down to you as the picture taker. And I think maybe, you know, did I just do a better job on, on some of those, those broad leaves because maybe they had a really showy flower. And I know I tended to focus better on the flower or, you know, some, some other feature. And maybe I didn't do as good a job on getting a picture of the, those grass species you know, as I did on the broad leaves. And I, I think again, you know, bringing it back down to the human element and how much did I influence the performance of the app? I think you improve your chances of success if you're, you focus in on a feature that might, you know, be very distinctive, um, a flower, uh, you know, spines, uh, you know, thorns, you know, uh, spots or stripes. You know, reducing your background, making sure you're taking a clear picture of, of a plant and reducing your background. You don't want like say a green weed with a green background of lots of other weeds. If you can, you know, if you can, if you can highlight that plant, I think you're going to improve your chances of success um, take multiple pictures from different angles, um, you know, and, and different structures and submit multiple images um, to try and improve your chance of, of success. My recommendation is regardless, double check. If, if you're not sure of something, uh, either, you know, use a, 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 a reputable weed guide like Weeds of the Northeast or get in touch with uh, an expert, like someone in the cooperative extension system who, can, who is a, a weed scientist or can, can get the picture to a weed scientist for you know, a, a, a proper confirmation. Absolutely, yeah. And, and as someone that gets uh, sent a lot of pictures of weeds to help identify them, uh, your comments about taking a close-up photo with a with a solid background like the hood of the truck uh, are really spot on, and that really helps. You know, e even a person trying to identify it rather than, you know, a picture of a, a patch of weeds from 20 feet away. And you also mentioned that the apps unfortunately aren't as accurate or as good at identifying young seedlings, which is you know, when a lot of the management is going to be happening. Um, but, you know, I, I think in terms of an IPM approach, thinking about scouting, 
um, you know, using these apps in you know, later in the summer and the fall, looking at what escaped, you know, that's probably going to be what you're going to be dealing with next year. Absolutely. I agree 100%. You know, you should be making assessments of what weeds are there, you know, what growth stages they're at, you know, if they're, if they've, you know, hitting reproductive maturity and setting seed, you know, I, you, you definitely do. Obviously you want to know what's in the field because you want to control it. And then you want to know, well, what's escaped weed management. And like you said, end of season, you, you want to know like, well, no, no, what's, what's setting seed? What seed is going to be shed in the field, you know, and what's going to contribute to my problems next year and the year after and the year after. Yeah. All right. So Lynn, do you have any, uh, any parting thoughts related to, um, you know, weed ID and management? Yeah. You know, I think, um, knowing what your problems are, you know, knowing those species that are going to be competing with your crop truly honestly is, you know, the first step to making plans to, to manage your system, you know, most effectively, you know, and then the, the next jump beyond just knowing who's there and, you know, is, is knowing a little bit about them, you know, understanding when they emerge, you know, the, those conditions that favor their, their establishment, how quickly they're going to come, you know, complete their life cycle, how much seed they could potentially produce if they're not managed. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a weed scientist, but, you know, kind of like a weed biologist by training. And really it's, it's just that, that fundamental is, is knowing what you, knowing your enemy, right? Knowing what you've got, who's there, how they're going to grow, and what the consequences could be of not managing them effectively. That foundational knowledge on on weed ID and weed biology is really crucial for for really long term weed management. Great. Good tips. Thank you, Lynn. Um, it's been a pleasure to uh, to have you on the show today. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you reaching out to me. All right. That's all for today. Final thing as a disclaimer, please read pesticide labels prior to use. The information contained here is not a substitute for pesticide label. Trade names used herein are only used for convenience. So no endorsement of products is intended, nor is criticism of unnamed products implied. Laws and labels change, and it is your responsibility to use pesticides legally. And it's a good idea to consult your local cooperative extension office for legal and recommended practices and products. And thanks to the New York Farm Viability Institute for funding this project. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Into the Weeds.